Hi, this is Randy Bachman. You're listening to Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All, the all-talk Beatles radio show on the internet. I am your moderator for this week, Tony Chiguardo, joining me. I'm Mitch Axelrod. I'm Rob Leonard. And we have a very special guest this week. This man is really a legendary figure in rock and pop music. Uh, he has been part of the music scene here in the States since the late 60s with the Guess Who and the 70s with Backman Turner Overdrive. And he has continued to have a very, very thriving. prolific and thriving solo career. And his most recent release is called By George, By Bachman, and I'm giving away who it is. This week on Fab Four Free For All, we are joined by Randy Bachman. Randy, welcome to the show, and uh, just to start off, you know, I want to congratulate you. You are also a radio host. You have a show on XM Sirius, Vinyl Tap, and uh, congratulations on that successful show. Thank you. I just got renewed in my for my 13th year. Isn't that amazing? Wow. wow. That's great. Well, for a guy were... who never had a job, this is really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are you are truly a musicologist. And then you have Tal helping you also, right, in, in uh, research and whatnot? Yeah, well, I have my stories, yeah. which are like my own personal recollections, but I don't know the exact date, right? So when I first started to do the show, I was... I was um, Telling about songwriting, I was telling about Duke Ellington wrote Satin Doll for his his uh, granddaughter, right? Yeah. And uh, I mentioned that I met him at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto, and it was on Wednesday or something, and somebody from the hotel called CBC and said, you couldn't have been Wednesday, he checked out on Sunday, you know, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the desk clerk, so I have tell check my my exact dates, right? Because when you tell a story, like it doesn't matter if it happened at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, Right. Or Monday or Wednesday, and it was like 50 years, 30 years ago. It doesn't matter. But so I have him check the. You know, so when I say some, somebody's song went to number two in Billboard, I usually say when it did and exactly when they were born. It just he makes my facts correct, right? He does the research. And he was like growing up while I was doing this. So he's lived through with all the music, and he's now in my band, right? He joined the band. Right. You, you know, great. Randy, there's, there's two things I've learned. I've learned the only dates you really no, need to know. Are your anniversary and your wife's birthday? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I if I forget those, I'm in trouble. And and Rob, uh, one of our co-hosts here, is our uh, musicologist in terms of archiving. If yeah. I say you yeah. know the Beatles went to number 39, when he says no, it was 36. So, so yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from. But, but I, by the way, we should introduce ourselves yes, to yeah, Randy. Sure. Yeah, we should. Randy, I'm Rob Leonard. Great. Hi. And Mitch Axelrod. And Tony Chiguardo. So, so, great. Um, so, you know, Randy, I'm going to just sort of jump in and, and uh, you know, musically, you started out as a violinist, didn't you? Which is kind of wild. Yeah, when I was five, I started classical violin. And was it, was it Elvis that really kind of turned you around and like so many other musicians? Yeah, I played classical violin, but it was like Royal Conservatory, which is really strict, right? You've got to play every note on the paper. Once a year, you have an adjudicator like the judges, and you go in a little tuxedo, wow. and you have a pianist who's usually your teacher, and then you play the song on violin, and they judge you on your posture and your up and down stroke and all that stuff. And I was kind of okay as a kid, uh, but um, 
it got really boring, and I had a, a mis- teacher that always made a terrible mistake. She would play the song first. She'd put a piece of notes in front of me, Chopin or something like that, and then she'd play it. <laughs> and she'd say, okay, now I want you to practice it all week, and I would, now you try it. So I would play it exactly. And when I got to be about 12 or 13, she said, you're good enough. I want you to join the school symphony, which is like all young kids playing as a symphony. So go to this rehearsal next Saturday. So I get on my bus, I go to rehearsal at the school called uh, Calvin High School, which is where Neil Young went to school. But the symphony was like in the gymnasium there. So I go in there and I'm going to be second violin. And we start to play this song and suddenly there's tap, tap, tap and the whole, all the kids stop and the conductor says, second violin, that's an E flat, not an E natural. Let's start over. So we take it from the top, we play it, I play the same thing. Tap, tap, tap. Second violin, can you please play me an E flat? Oh. And I go, and I so go, I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, boy. And the guy says, you don't know what? And I said, I don't even know what bar 34 is. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized when my teacher played a song for me first, it went into my head. I knew it. I memorized sure. it. When I saw the paper and the notes went up and down, that was the little clue to the melody but I knew I didn't, couldn't read music. So in tears, I packed up my violin right in the middle, walked wow. out, got on the bus and went home and said to my mother, that's it, I'm quitting. She said, what do you mean you're quitting? I said, I, I don't know what I'm playing. Wow. I didn't know any of the notes. I knew that a dot was this finger on that string and that dot was this finger on that string. And then the next day, I saw Elvis on Ed Sullivan and went, wow, what's that? Oh, that's called rock and roll. That's called the guitar. That's called Elvis. And I said, I want to do that. It's wild. It's insane. Instead of having to stand there in this perfect posture and play these notes that are on the paper, so fly lands on the paper, you've got to play the note, where the, play where the fly landed on the stave, right? On the right, music right. thing. And from that point, and I had a, uh, some cousins who had um, a guitar. And we were at their house visiting. I said, can you show me something on guitar? And they said, what do you want to play? And I said, I walked the line, the Johnny Cash line uh, mm-hmm. song, right? Real easy, three chords. And so they showed me that song, and then they went away for the week and left me the guitar. Oh, when they wow. came home, I could play every Elvis song. I could play everything. And not only that, I could play the lead, because all you play in a violin is lead. Sure. It's sure. a lead instrument, right? You're playing the top of the symphony line. You know, you and some flutes and some piccolos and stuff or whatever. Right, right. And from that point on, it was like, there I was on guitar. That's wow. too cool. And, and from there, I mean, you, you uh, were mentored by Lenny Bro. And yeah, I was very lucky that uh, across the street moves this kid. He's uh, 15, I'm 14. And he plays in his family band. Hmm. I thought this kid was great. I said, do you go to school? He said, no, I quit when I was 10. I go, what? <laughs> you quit school when you were 10 years old? He said, yeah, my parents took me out. I play in their band. How long have you been playing in their band? Since I was six. Wow. Amazing. And like, he was like almost 16. He said, you've been playing 10 years. And he played Chet Atkins style, which to me, and I never heard of Chet Atkins. To me, it was like Scotty Moore playing behind Elvis. It was the same ragged Merle Travis you know, Atkins picking. Mm, and right. so uh, then I, he showed me a couple of Chet Atkins songs. Immediately, I could play every Elvis song, not just Elvis's part, but the fingerstyle stuff. And then as he went into jazz, I then got into jazz, and it was just a little too much for me. But I got enough of courting and how, what to play and what not to play uh, to write She's Come Undone and play Blue Collar and Looking Up for Number One with the 
you know, with BTO and the Guess Who, and then even on this George Harrison album, there's some very jazzy songs where I do, I go to those chords again and play kind of, uh, you know, West Montgomery octaves and stuff like that. So it was a wonderful thing growing up with this guy, except I played hooky every afternoon and went to his house for two years. So I flunked grade 10, repeated it, and I flunked grade 11 and repeated that. But it was the two greatest years of, of my life because I was in, Guitar kindergarten, sure. and guitar school, and guitar university with two years with this guy. And in those two years, I learned every Chet Atkins song, every Merle Travis song, every Elvis song, and then after that, Gene Vincent, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley. It was all quite easy. Yeah, wow. yeah what an incredible apprenticeship. I mean, you know, and you've got that connection too because, uh, again, with with that George Harrison. The country gentleman sound. You know, George had that. Uh, you know, love well, of George played too. a weird, uh, weird finger style too. Like more ragged, like like Carl Perkins. Chet Atkins was very finesseful. He played everything accurately. Carl Perkins was kind of wildish the way he played. He played the same thing, but it was just it wasn't sit down perfectly. It was stand up rock and roll. If you know what I mean. The yeah. difference. The difference yeah. if I'm sitting down playing guitar, you see me on stage. There's a certain movement and physicality when you're up playing for people. Yeah, sure. Uh, so George Harrison played that ragged kind of style. So right away, I'm playing that kind of style in all my love and all, all the other Beatles songs that he kind of played in Matchbox and everything else and Act Naturally and things like that. Right, right. Uh, so how did it feel to set up for Les Paul? Yeah. How cool was that? Because you wanted to go see him, and uh, evidently you were not old enough to get in. <laughs> right, I just found this out. Last year, uh, I'll tell you the ending that I found out last year. So I grew up in Winnipeg, and uh, Neil Young was kind of my buddy, right? He was two years younger than me. Lenny Bro was a year and a half older than me. I got an orange scratch like Lenny Bro. Neil Young got an orange scratch from the guys who I placed, replaced in the guest who and all that stuff. <laughs> so we kind of grew up, and our big influence for me and Neil in rock and roll was Hank Marvin and the Shadows, who played in England behind Cliff Richard. Yeah, sure. So I hear Les Paul and Mary Ford are playing. They're all over the radio with how high the mood is by the Candios and stuff like that. And so I say to my mom, I'm going out to my friends. I don't tell her I'm going to the other side of Winnipeg. <laughs> I get on the bus, and I'm not going to say that I'm not coming home for dinner. This is like at like 4 o'clock after school. So I get on the bus, I get all the way there, and it's about 5 o'clock, 5.30. And I get there, and the guy at the club is called the Rancho Don Carlos. And he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, at the, I'm the only guy there. There's nobody there in line yet. I said, I came to see Les Paul. He said, how old are you? So I'm like, I'm 15. Hmm. You can't get in. The drinking age is 18 or 19 or something like that. Unless you're with an adult and you have dinner, you can't get in. I go, you're kidding. And I've got Les Paul's album under my arm <laughs> for him to autograph. And so I'm sitting outside the Rancho Don Carlos waiting for the bus to go home. And a black Cadillac pulls up. The window rolls down and goes, hi, kid. What are you doing? And I go, wow, Les Paul, I came to see you, but I can't see you. And he says, why not? And I said, I can't get in. I'm not old enough. He said, I'll get you in. Wow. So we go in, and he brings in like four or five tape recorders that he stacks up, and he's running them with this thing that attaches to the Bigsby tailpiece on his Les Paul, and it's called the Les Pulverizer, and it's record, stop, play, rewind, this thing that he's got, this remote control, on his Les Paul guitar. Wow. And he says to the guy at the, at the restaurant, who told me I couldn't get in, the supper club, that I have to stand there and watch his tape recorders. <laughs> so I stand behind the stage. I'm like not on stage. 
I'm behind these doors with through two big round windows that swung back and forth that the waiters would walk through and they had big windows so they wouldn't kick the door and knock the trays out of each other's hands. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So they walked back and forth with trays of drinks and dinner. And I'm watching the back of Les Paul, who's wearing a tuxedo. Mary Ford's wearing a gown like a prom dress. Wow. And they had their son there, Gene, playing guitar. And Les Paul would go to the audience and say, here's the rhythm. And the tape recorder beside me would start and record, similar to what Ed Sheeran does now, right? Oh, yeah. Of and yeah. now here's the lead, and here's Mary singing. Here's Mary singing harmony with herself. So I saw the show of Les Paul. I saw his back <laughs> and Mary Ford's back for the whole show. That is wow. But I'm there. Well, and then yeah. at the end of the show, he comes back, gets a napkin, mops his brow, and he says, here, kid, hold this. And I hold his guitar, and it's a white Les Paul, and on it is a gooseneck guitar. I mean, a gooseneck, a mic yep. right. with cables, because they walked to everyone's table. You know, like if you're in a Mexican restaurant, they come to your play, your table, and they play. <laughs> you know, and then you give them a tip, and they go to the next table. So oh, he would, they would go to the front four or five tables and, like, serenade the people. They weren't really on stage. Their son was on stage playing drums. Wow. So I see that whole evening at the end. He says, anything I could do for you? And I said, no, I've got to go. I've got to get the last bus home, which was like 11 at night. Right. And, right. I, and I said, would you show me a lick? So he shows me the lick and how high the moon. That's oh, the, high, the high part he does. So oh, two years ago, I go to Neil's birthday party, uh, Neil Young's birthday party at the Troubadour in L.A. <laughs> and Neil says, you know that story that you tell about Les Paul? And I go, yeah. And he says, I was sitting at the front table. I go, what? Oh. He says, yeah, my mother took me there. She bought dinner. She bought herself a drink. And I saw Les Paul, while you were watching his behind, I was watching his fingers on the deck of the guitar. So, so wow. had you known that Neil was going, you might have been able to bum a ride and actually sit in front. Exactly. <laughs> and then when I played, I played here uh, with, uh, I opened for Van Halen, BTO, played the Nassau Coliseum many years later. Sure. And, um... Who comes in but Les Paul to see Eddie and Sammy, and he knows everybody. And uh, Leslie West was there with me, uh, like with BTO. And Les Paul comes up to me in the dressing room, and he goes, Hey, kid, do I know you? Oh, geez. And I say, the Rancho Don Carlos. And he goes, yeah, play the lick. Here's the guitar. <laughs> and I played the lick from How High the Moon. Wow. And he says, I want you to come down to the... Uh, the what is it called? The Iridium Club and see and see my show next Monday or something. And I said, Well I'm leaving town but I'll come back next time in town. So I come back the next time in town. I go to the Iridium, he invites me up on stage. And he says, I taught this kid this lick <laughs> forty years ago when he was like fifteen years old or something like that. So we're gonna play How High the Moon and I want him to play this part. So they wow. play How High the Moon and I play the part and he says, Okay, let's do one of yours. I go, What? Yeah. And he says, okay, okay, what's your song? And I said, well, it's Taking Care of Business. He said, great, play it, and I'll play along. So I have him playing along with Taking Care of Business. My road manager taped this. Wow. And then he says, I want you to come tomorrow to my place in, I think, Maupaw, New Jersey, and I'll show you all my stuff, and I'm going to give you something. And I go, wow. And the next day was 911, oh and God. the power got hit, and I never got to leave town. I never got to his place. Yeah, and then shortly after that, he died. So yeah. I have this... Wonderful story with a slightly tragic wow. ending. Wow, yeah, but oh, how yeah, brilliant, what a great Randy. Story. My I mean, God, wow. That's wow. tremendous. Randy, wow. uh, I have a question concerning Beatlemania in Canada. We know what Beatlemania in the United States is. You're a Canadian. How did Beatlemania, was it different than the States? Was there different things going on with radio or television? 
No, it was exactly the same. same but like thing. when the Beatles were coming, the kids went to whatever it was stadium, and like in Vancouver or Toronto, and screamed their heads off. And everybody in North America, I think seventy million people or something, saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. That changed the world. That changed me because up to then, you had an Elvis who was either called Elvis or Gene Vincent or Eddie Cochran or Rick Nelson or somebody like that uh, or Buddy Holly with backup musicians. And when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, it, it stunned every musician. There were three guys all standing at mics in the front, all singing. There wasn't guys in the back singing background. They were all three standing up singing. And guess what? The drummer also sang. So suddenly every band drummer wanted to sing boys and, <laughs> and then act naturally. And, you know, and then all the Ringo songs, I want to be your man and stuff. And so I was delegated, and I always wanted to sing the George Harrison song because I was the lead guitar player. Oh, wow. So in the Guess Who, Burton Cummings would sing John and Paul songs, and I sang George songs, so I sang them all my life. That's great. So it was no big deal for me to do a George tribute album, and uh, f uh, three years ago I got invited to Liverpool for John Lennon's 75th birthday. A friend of mine is a promoter. He, had pr he owned the show Let It Be, which they, you go in the be and the four guys you know, dressed and singing like the Beatles, and they start yeah. in leathers you know, in Germany, and then they come back and they put on the suits and they sing the early Beatles and they change clothes, Sergeant Pepper, and then on the roof at, you know, at Abbey Road and stuff like that. So he invites me to see the show in Liverpool. So I go there and it's John's birthday and it's fabulous. The next day I take the tour, go to the Casbah and the Cavern, oh, wow. Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane Barbershop and everything. And we go to the Beatles Museum and um, Julia comes, John's sister, wow. brings everybody brownies, which, is, which was John's favorite birthday cake. He didn't like cake, he liked brownies, and gives everybody John Lennon glasses that she got from the same oh optometrist. And I'm there as a Beatle fan. I stay at the Hard Day's Night Hotel. I stay in the John and Yoko suite. I sleep in the John and Yoko bed. It is absolutely fabulous. And so that's I'm thinking, great. what can I do that's different for a new album? I get, offer, I get offered an album deal. And I go, well, I think George is turning five next year. I'll do. I'll redo all George's songs. Because about eight years ago, I was touring with Burton Cummings. We had an album called Back from Cummings Jukebox. Mm -hmm. Right. And Burton picked five or six jukebox songs that he would play in the jukebox growing up, and I picked five or six. But the problem was we did them like we remembered them or learned them. So when he did Gary Lewis and the Playboys or something, we sounded like Gary Lewis doing this diamond ring, and it was kind of stupid in a way. <laughs> when I did Chuck Berry, Little Queenie, we sounded like Chuck Berry. So when I get time to do and I want to do a Harrison song, and I want to do Happy Just to Dance with You from Help, I mean from a Hard Day's Night, I say, look, I want to reinvent this like Clapton did Layla. I don't want to try to outdo the Beatles. You can't outdo the Beatles. You can copy Chuck Berry, everybody does. Right. But to try to do Happy Just to Dance with You, let me just try it in a slow acoustic shuffle, and we do it, and the band goes nuts, and everybody loves that song. Oh, yeah. That's so it was real easy for me to take songs that George wrote, and I made a list of maybe 50 of them, and to try to re-take his body of work and put new clothes on the body, if you know what I'm saying, on the sure. mannequin, and do every song. As a songwriter, paying tribute to another songwriter and a guitar player to a guitar player, not copy what he did, because nobody can take that lightning in a bottle, like when George Martin put these four elements in a bottle, shook it up, pulled the cork off, and out came this lightning bolt that was a song or an album that absolutely shocked the whole world, because every 
single was different than the other, and every album had different cuts oh, that yeah. were completely yeah, oh, diverse yeah. and different from each other. Um, I thought, gee, I'm going to take that license and do that in Georgia song. I'm going to do one as an acid jazz song and one like the Gypsy Kings and one like the Who and one like Led Zeppelin and one <laughs> like Bob Marley. And so I just took every George song and just tried it four or five different ways and got lucky on out of the 30 I was trying, got lucky on eight and I was going to put it out as an eight track. Remember when you had eight tracks? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I played it for the, I played it for a label and he said like, where's the other four songs? And I said, what do you mean? What are there for? And he said, well, we want to put out an album. So like do 12 songs. So I found some more songs and then I thought, you know, what would, I want to get one of my songs on here. Mm -hmm. What the heck? Being on an album with George Harrison stuff. And so I, I wrote between two mountains, which is how I felt. He yeah. felt being in this band, showing up for a session, and in comes Mount McCartney and Mount Lennon with 30 songs each to do an album. And when they maybe got tired of that collaboration, they'd say, hey, George, you got a song? <laughs> you know, if he was lucky, he would go, yeah, I have, I have a song called Don't Bother Me. I have a song called Tax Man. I have a song called If I Needed Someone. Okay, George, let's hear it. Yeah, let's do that. And he'd get a song. But when I was writing the song, I had a great inspiration in the middle of the night where I, you know, do any of you have kids? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know what it's like you're asleep in bed and you notice a presence in your room. Yes. And you wake up as one of your kids is standing there with a blankie or a teddy bear and they've had a bad dream. And you say, oh, you had a bad dream. Come in bed with daddy and you take them in bed and you make them warm and then when they fall asleep, you take them back to their bed. So in the middle of the night, this was a couple of months ago. I feel a presence in my room. Well, there's nobody in my house, right? I'm alone at this time. <laughs> wow. But I feel this presence is like pulling me. So I go to my next, the room next to my bed where my computer is and my guitars, and I start to type these lyrics. And they're clearly not from my psyche. They're from somewhere else. Wow. And it, the, cool. the lyrics are, the lyrics become the lyrics for Between Two Mountains. They didn't, there's an inner light, just let it shine. Yeah. Angels in flight through space and time. I learned to wait. My time would come. I'd celebrate because I was the one between two mountains. So instead of George being pissed off and angry, he's celebrating that he's in between these two mountains that are rocking the world. And every once in a while, and he does it, he gets to rock the world and he becomes his own mountain. And it's the three Beatles again standing up, three of them saying to the world, here we are, we're here with another song, we're going to rock your world, we're changing everything again. And if you notice, the Beatles, they kept doing these changes where they, they wore leathers. Then they wore businessmen suits with white shirts and ties. Then they wore these weird silky things called Sergeant Pepper. Then they wore these weird caftan things that were Indian, right? And then they wore these other weird hippie clothes on the roof of you know, Abbey Road on Let It Be and stuff. Right. And so they changed their persona and their music over and over and over. So the ride we had as fans and Beatle fans was an amazing seven or eight years of love, love me, do, la, 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 ya, ya, up to Marmalade Skies and Relax Your Mind and Float Downstream and She's So Heavy. Yeah. These guys played everything. Yeah, and then I've got to tell you something. Honestly, Randy, you gave me you gave me goosebumps right now when you recited the lyric because it's, it really is such a perfect analogy to what George was, you know, up against, but at the same time, as you put it, uh, could could celebrate because, you know, there he was still in that amazing experience. And that's right. It, and then my, the second verse is there's peace within. Just close your eyes and realize we all need to love and get love back. 
brothers and sisters, we are, it's all that we have between two mountains. And we are all born between the mountains of good and evil. And you've got to choose one or the other. And if you choose the evil one and you do something wrong, hopefully you come back to the mountain of good. And you've learned a lesson from making the wrong decision, <laughs> doing the bad one. And then you have a life somewhere between the mountain of good and evil, choosing right or wrong. And hopefully at the end they say, well, that was a good lady or that was a good guy. You know, they tried their best and they had a good life and they were a good dad and they were a good mother and stuff like that. And so it ended up being about people and our love will shine and love is forever and stuff. And that's kind of what George and John did near the end of their career. It was like, let's forget our careers and let's actually sing War is Over if you want it. Let's sing Give Peace a Chance and let's sing Harry Krishna and My Sweet Lord. And let's sing All You Need is Love because that's all you need in the world is peace and love. And when you look at it, the world is so crazy now yeah. with the world leaders and these atomic bombs or nuclear missiles and the stupid stock market and Donald Trump going cuckoo and being such a child. And all the average Joe and Josephine want is to do their gig, go home at night, snuggle in bed, give love, get love back, right. have a nice Saturday afternoon with your kids, go to church or the synagogue on the weekend or yeah. something, and live yeah. in peace and pay your damn taxes and, <laughs> and break even. You know what I mean? That's all we want. You bet. Love comes you to bet. everyone, you know? Yes, George yeah. that too. And, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because I, one of the things that, uh, that struck me when I first heard the, the album, Randy, and the album, I should, so that our listeners know, the album is called By George. And, uh, by Backman. Uh, by, by, by George, by, by, George Backman. by Backman. Yeah, and when, Randy, when does the album, uh, uh, when's the official release date? I think it's March the 2nd. Great, okay. So we, we and I'm a little bit that. ahead of time, but <laughs> I need to explain that George was born ahead of time. He was born prematurely. <laughs> That's right. That's his, right. His, mother, his mother went into labor on the 24th, which is when I'm playing B.B. King's. That's then she right. had George on the 25th, and that the next morning, the 25th, I'm playing Breakfast with the Beatles on Ken Dashow's All Breakfast right. with the Beatles show with a, with a band playing some of these songs. So I'm kind of timely. It's like a little a week ahead of time. But it's uh, it's a great weekend to do it, and it's really it's George's birthday, twenty four, twenty five. That's that's beautiful, and you know I I did notice the little some of those little Easter eggs that are in there on on uh, between two mountains. You pick on pick up on that beautiful lick from "End I Love Her" that Paul McCartney now so openly says is really the personality of that song. And you've got that snuck in. And, well, there's and, these little and I call them sprinkles on George's birthday cake. Uh, <laughs> there's another song. Do what you wanted to think for yourself. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That we play my sweet Lord licks yep. in it. Do do. So yep. every once in a while, and there's another one. I play the lick from "It's Only Love" and that is all. And yep. It goes down, <laughs> down, down, down. That's in another song. So I sprinkled George's licks, not in the right places, from other songs that aren't even on my the album I did. <laughs> there's little sprinkles of them here and there, and um, to reinvent Taxman and do it in a fast. You know, text, uh, fast text, or shuffle like that was so exciting when people hear that. And then Guitar Gently Weeps and get Walter Trout playing in the end of Guitar Gently Weeps. In a way, it's it stands up not equal but close to George and Clapton doing the yep. end of Weeps on the Beatles album. Me and, and Walter Trout at the end there when we're soloing together. Monstrous. Every time I hear it, it brings tears to my eyes and joy to my heart because it's, it's two guys wailing their asses off on guitar. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's monstrous, Randy. Uh, it's just, just brilliant. Uh, Rob, I'm going to pass it to Rob. I, well, I wanted to, uh, you mentioned talk about the Beatles would sort of changing clothes as they 
move along. George always talked about, and I don't know if you know this, that you know being in the Beatles was like wearing a certain suit, and not not a Beatles suit, but just you know that was just part of his life where he wore that clothing. And when you were just saying that, I don't know if you knew that he would he talked about that often in interviews when he would. Uh, Try to get away from talking about the Beatles. It was, <laughs> was time to take the Beatles shirt off. Yeah, would basically. Say. Yeah, so <laughs> that was, that was uh, something when you were talking about the clothes, the different clothes the Beatles had uh, over the years. I, I was thinking of that. Um, I want to. Well, ask- we we all have that. You understand? Like when you're, I've had people k- say that I'm a teddy bear off stage. <laughs> On stage, I'm a grizzly bear. <laughs> like me and Turner were up there growling and screaming, let it roll down the highway. You know what I mean? Get off your ass and get up and rock kind of thing. <laughs> and you do have, it's like a wrestler or, uh, you know, a UFC fighter. When you're at home, you're the mild Clark Kent, and then you put on this costume, and you're Superman or Wonder Woman, right? And it's the same with Gaga or Lady or, or Madonna. You... You're kind of normal. You're mom at home, and you like being that. You take out the garbage, and you wash the dishes, because if you don't do that, you can't be a superstar all the time. You end up killing yourself. You don't know what... You're, you're, it's not real to be a superstar all the time. Even these football guys and baseball and basketball guys, when they go home, they like to just be dad and do the dishes and help cook dinner and stuff and do what you did growing up, right? You know what I mean? Don't do the superstar stuff. So it's funny because, well, two things. You say that, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, everybody always thinks of, of you know, the Beatles, uh, especially now the remaining Beatles, Paul and Ringo, as the superstars will go home and they, you know, they'll sit there and say, I'm Paul and I'm Ringo. <laughs> no, they probably, you know, <laughs> scratch their balls, excuse my language. <laughs> you know, they take off their pants and they go to bed. They brush their, just like me and you. Yeah, they put their pants on one leg at a exactly. time. It's always yeah. the line. But yeah. I, I do, I, I want to, I mean, I was, when I first got the album, uh, I have to tell you, I know, you know, you said you wanted to reimagine everything about the music and just leave the lyrics, obviously. What I did was I didn't look at any song titles when I first played the album. And I said, all right, let me try to figure out what I'm going to hear. And for the first 30 seconds of every cut, and I guess this is a tribute to you, I had no clue where you were going. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I imagine everybody doing that. And I watch other people listening to it. They don't have a clue what it is. <laughs> but all of a sudden... And then when, this, when the singing starts, they sing along. Yes. And I did, I did the lyrics, and I sent them to Universal, and they said, why are you sending us a lyric sheet? <laughs> everybody in the world knows Everybody the in the world knows every word of every Beatles song, and the songs you picked, everybody knows the George song. We only need one lyric sheet for the song you wrote. <laughs> so it only, has, it only has one lyric sheet in there between two mountains. <laughs> I, I got to tell great. you, I'm, I'm listening to every song, and my personal favorite on this is You Like Me Too Much. It's always been a favorite. But I'm listening to you play it and, and, and the whole band, and I'm hearing Calypso. And I'm saying, what the hell is this going to be? And all of a sudden, you come in with, you know, well, you've gone away this morning. And I start, I'm dancing in my car. I mean, people must think I'm an idiot, but they do anyway. But I'm, I'm in my car dancing to You Like Me Too Much. It's a Calypso f- feel. Well, um, the night before. Wow. I saw and spent three hours with the Gypsy Kings. Oh, wow. So I come home that night, and I'm, wow. I want to write a song like the Gypsy Kings, so I start that. Because everybody at the Gypsy Kings, first of all, you can't sit down. Yeah. Every course. woman in the Gypsy Kings start dancing. You don't understand the word. They're singing in Spanish. <laughs> they don't even talk. They talk in Spanish. I don't know any Spanish. <laughs> Every woman's up dancing. I'm there with my roadie, because I can't get a woman that night. I don't have a date. She's busy. <laughs> I'm there with my roadie, and it's me dancing with my guitar tech. 
<laughs> and I would be singing Bombolero and, you know, uh, Volare and all that kind of stuff. So I go home and I write this song and I record it. And when it's all done and I go, dang, 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 I start to sing. So you've gone away this morning. I go, wow, these two fit together. I've written a preface to the George Harrison song, and then I just played the song exactly, but I keep that Gypsy King's rhythm. Oh, we sweet. also did the rhythm again on Here Comes the Sun. Yes, yeah. Uh, we were yeah. in the studio and listening to the playback, and in the studio, I'm sorry, in the control room was one microphone that we used to talk back and forth with the engineer in the, in the control room and we're in the studio. So we listened to our playback of Here Comes the Sun, and there's just one mic up, and I'm sitting there with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And the minute Here Comes the Sun is over, Sun, 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 here it comes. And I start to play Gypsy King. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and I start to play it. And you can hear me yelling it. This is live one take. Yes. I yell to oh, the band, yeah. play, 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 play. And so they start playing and play, sing with me. Da, 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 da. And then, I, then you hear me yell, go to the four, go to the four. We go to the four chord. And I'm saying, play some drums. So Mark's just hitting drumsticks on the counter in the control room. And at the end, we laugh our heads off. And I said, we got to put this in. It's, it's like the Beatles fooling around, doing any damn thing you want, because the world is hungry for yeah. any damn things the Beatles want to do, right? Because we love everything they did. So we left a lot of the stuff. A lot of it was accidents. And a lot of it, uh, even the way I did If I Needed Someone, it was an absolute accident. I'm trying to, you know, so, I, you know, what I did is I got 50 George songs. I listened to iTunes or, or my own recordings, my own visions. And then when I would Google it in iTunes, I would get If I Needed Someone by the Hollies. It's sure. like same of the Beatles. Sure. 12 yeah. string guitar, same harmony. The Seekers and the Searchers, same thing. Another American band, same thing. I said, I don't want to do the same thing. It's it, whole hum. It's boring. It's you call the album Yawn, right? Put it on and go to sleep. <laughs> call the album Yawn. So I get up in the middle of the night, and I'm going through GarageBand and some of my Apple loops, and up come these incredible loops. So I would sit there with George lyrics and go, what can I sing to yeah. fit this drum loop? Maybe I'll speed it up. Maybe I'll slow it down. There's a little tempo thing where you speed it up. And what can I sing to these songs? So up comes this thing, and I go, so I try singing three or four George songs to this tempo I find, which has three weird jazz chords out of it, and I don't know how to do manipulate the loop to take out the jazz chords, so I have to sing George's lyrics over these jazz chords. And I start to sing um, the song. Right, right. And then I figure, well, I'm going to try guitar. And as I play guitar to these, I go, wow, this, these are really cool jazz chords, whatever keyboard's playing this particular thing, um, whatever the chords are. Right. And this sounds a lot like Blue Collar on a BTO album or Looking Out for Number One. Yep, absolutely. So I'm just going to yeah, play these guitar parts and um, change it a little bit. And because I've got, I've got to change the notes to fit these chords, or it sounds weird. And George's is very kind of straight, right? Yeah. And mine is, you know, um, I'm going to sing it like Lambert Hendricks and Ross or Georgie Fame or something like that. And I'm going to stretch the thing like, if I needed someone, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it just turned out to be magical. I sent it to my band and they go, this is the coolest acid jazz rock thing we've ever heard. <laughs> to do it to the Beatles thing, and then you put in some of your, your BTO, Blue Collar, West Montgomery octave licks and stuff. This is perfect. So, it's so funny when we right play now? live, we actually start with Between Two Mountains, and then that song, uh, and if, I'm then, you know, if I Needed Someone, and then the Gypsy Kings one, and then we go into Well, My Guitar Gently Woo. So we actually play the album like it is, so that our encore is 
was five or six George songs. So, like when we played um, tomorrow night in Riverhead or Les Pauls on Saturday, I mean BB Kings on Saturday night, we actually do four or five Guess Who songs where I tell the stories how I wrote them and we perform them. And then we do four or five BTO songs. Then my son, Tal, who's in the band, does his hit, She's So High, and he tells how he wrote that song. That was a big hit about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. And then we come back and do five or six George songs with a little story on why I'm doing the album to celebrate George's 75th birthday. And I was in for John's 75th birthday a few years ago, and this is the revisioning of George songs. I want to see you sing along. The minute you recognize what this is, because you're not going to know what it is when we started. <laughs> exactly. There's no hard day's night court here telling you what it is. We're just starting the song. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm hoping that people do exactly what I, when I've already, we've already been publicizing on our Facebook page. And I think you and I actually had a little correspondence. You said, thank you for saying the album was good on Facebook. But quite honestly, I hope everybody does what I do. I hope they don't look at what the next song is and just try to figure yeah. it out because yeah, they will be so yeah. pleasantly surprised. Now, again, it's very different. So some people will, you know, Beatle fans are Beatle fans. Oh, yeah. So yeah. people are going to say, oh, I, I can't believe he did that. But if they give No, it, I, I, I appreciate the Beatle Mafia because I'm one of them or the, <laughs> whatever. But if, they, but if they really are, you know, George had an open mind about everything. You bet, and musically. I'm sure yeah, he yeah. would have really yeah. appreciated it. So I'm sure yeah. if, if they go into it with an open mind, they're going to be so pleasantly surprised. It's just well, fun. What a, lo what a lot of people haven't heard is I'm a real Beatle freak. I'm a friend of Giles Martin, right? So I get to hear all this stuff. When he's mixing it, I go in and hear the outtakes, and I hear takes nobody's heard that they tried six months ago, mm. the different version of the song, Strawberry Fields or whatever it is. And I go back, and some of those versions are the ones I did, where the <laughs> Beatles first tried it, and it didn't work out, because you, you, you slam away at a song until magic happens. You go, this is the one. Yes. yes. And you come yeah. back a week later and go, Me, let's try it a little faster, a different key, and you go, wow, this is the one. You leave the other one behind. When you look at their... Abbey Road sessions where they explained when they come in and what they ordered on their menu and what guitars they played and what tempo they tried at and they took this version and spliced it with that version and so basically I'm doing some alternate versions that they did so like the wow. Beatle Mafia out there who are like policing what's being done <laughs> I hope they appreciate that I'm really celebrating these songs as a songwriter I'm because Junior Walker did These Eyes, right? And yeah. Kurt Elling did a, ver a jazz version of She's Come and Done, and Lenny did uh, American Woman, and other bands have been taking care of business. And at first, I'm a little insulted as the writer. Goes, what are these guys doing? Don't they recognize they're wrecking my song? <laughs> and then suddenly it's on the radio, and everybody's saying, wow, we love the way Lenny did your song. And I did a show with Lenny Kravitz. I said, why didn't you play my solo? He said, why would I want to play your solo? Oh, right. I'm playing my own right. solo. Right. I'm a guitar player, by the way. And I go, yeah, yeah I guess you're right. <laughs> Everyone's done my solo, right? So it's really great when you take it and pay tribute to the song. Um, and, and, you know, I listened to a lot of jazz radio in uh, Jazz FM in Toronto. And, you know, like, um, what's his name? Uh, Pizzarelli. Uh, John Pizzarelli. John, Pizzarelli. John yeah. yeah John. It's like he'll do a, a Hard Day's Night song, and he'll do it in a jazz style, and he'll right. do a Joni Mitchell song and really make it modern, hip, cool jazz stuff. Well, so I just thought I'm going to do the same thing and to hell with all the uh, mafia out there. <laughs> Either like it, and the Beatles were the same way. Every time you heard their new single, it wasn't like the last single. They're right. saying, guess what? We're going to take you on a journey. We're going to educate you. And I remember being like on the road and guys on radio saying, at 2 o'clock today, 
we're pre-wearing the new, the new Beatles single, and this is like in the morning, you're driving to your next gig. In one hour is the new Beatles single. We'd pull over to the side of the road, listen to the new Be- Beatles single, and we would go, what on earth was that? <laughs> there wasn't at all like their last single. And then you hear it again, and they play it every hour, and suddenly you're singing it. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard Hey Jude, I kept thinking the record was broken. <laughs> it went on and on and on and on and on. It was like the thing jumping. It was like seven or six minutes long. And then you get to like it, and then in concert now, when McCartney does it, the whole audience is singing na 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 for like five minutes. Right. Yeah, but you, Randy, you had a unique situation though as a Beatle freak that not a lot of other Beatle fans had, in a sense that a new Beatle single could come out, and you could be on Let's Go on the CBC a week later playing that track, you know, as as the backing band with you know on the show. That's true, and we did do that, and we did do a whole Sgt. Pepper show, oh, and we really? did it with the we did it with the Winnipeg Symphony, oh my and God. it was absolutely amazing. And we dressed up like idiots in those <laughs> wow. Sgt. Pepper army silk army jackets or whatever they were, and so we had a great fun doing that and doing that television show for two years. I would liken that to us going uh, to the Beatles going into Abbey Road every day. Yeah. When they stopped touring and weren't doing live, they would go in every day and do that studio work. And for us to have to do the hit parade every week, as songs came on and left, the hit parade, we did them every week yep. for two years in a row, like 38 shows a year, uh, really was a training ground for us to copy not just the Beatles, but the Stones and Jerry the Pacemakers and the Beach Boys and 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 the Supremes and everybody else, right? It was amazing. It really was amazing. And now I'm going to have to, to ask the inevitable question as not just a Beatle freak, but as a Guess Who freak, do tapes survive of that stuff, Randy, other than what's been released? No, unfortunately, CBC were very cheap. They were governmental. Yeah. And they yeah. uh, they erased a lot of their old tapes, <sighs> like the Honeymooners. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, oh, I'm yeah. a Honeymooners fan. I watch them all. I know when yeah. every joke's coming, and I, I repeat <laughs> it, and I love it. Right? It's great. <laughs> but you know that they found. Remember the old kinescopes? They found sure. somebody in upstate New York that had kinescopes of all the Honeymooners. Jackie uh, Gleason bought them, and when you watch them, they're old. Scratchy yeah, black and white, yeah. but they're still what they are. They're all that exists. Right. They're still brilliant. They found a guy in northern BC, in British Columbia, that would broadcast our tapes a week later. So every time the show was on, he would tape it with a kinescope, and he had 13 shows. Wow. And he would then play it to northern Canada, because CBC in Canada is like BBC. It plays all the, all the little remote towns. So they went and found these. You can find them on YouTube. Oh, and so wow. there's like the Guess Who doing like 13 extra songs, the Sgt. Pepper songs as well, on YouTube. Oh, oh my God. Wow. I've got to go. As, it's so funny. As a hardcore, I didn't even know that those were out there. Hmm. Well, if yeah. you Google YouTube, Guess Who, uh, the Guess Who Beatles, or the Guess Who Let's Go, that was the name of the show, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you will find some of these songs, and they're really... Real, really incredible gems. Seeing early oh, Burton Cummings yeah. with his Beatle haircut and me with my Beatle haircut <laughs> and my Nehru shirt doing these songs. Brilliant. Randy, I have a question concerning the, the tracks on the album. Most of them are Beatle George Harrison songs. Were there any other solo Beatle songs you thought of doing but didn't decided not to? And why yeah, is it there's mostly one Beatles? Song that I, one song that haunted me, and it was You Say You Will Love Me If I Have To... Someday yeah. when we're lonely. Things we said today. The things we said today. I thought that was a George Harrison song. Wow, oh, interesting. And I do it in a haunting a tremolo guitar like Swamp Rock with real stomping drums, kind of like 
like the Black Keys would do it. Mm. And uh, the real Tony Joe White, you know, uh, um, Alligator Swamp, like a uh, folk salad Annie. Mm. And then I, then I send it to my band and they send me back a note saying, George didn't write this. <laughs> like Paul did it, right? Yeah. So people said, are you going to do a follow-up? I said, I might do one called The Other Two Guys. <laughs> the Other Mountains. The Other Mountains, yeah. Really. Yeah, the, other two, the two other mountains, and then do Lennon and McCartney songs. That's great. <laughs> we, would be, we would love that. So is, is, do you have a favorite George Harrison track, whether it's LP on the LP, not on the LP? What's, what's your favorite George Harrison song? Um, very hard to say, uh, because... I, he was he was the quiet beetle. Oh, yeah. I was the quiet guy in the guess who. Burton Cummings was born to be wild. I was born to be mild. <laughs> right. So I fit in with the George Harrison, very shy guy in the background. And when given a chance, you give it a hundred and one percent, and you you try. You know, like I said in the song, my light will shine, my love will shine. So, uh, you know, I did my best every time I got a song, and I did my best on this album. And every one of George's songs has a real special meaning. And to start with, like, I don't know, 38 or 40 or 50 of them and narrow it down to 30, then get eight, and then say, I'm going to put out an eight track, you know, Beatles eight track, and have the label say, you've got to do four more and do a complete album. <laughs> to go and find these extra four was a really neat search of fun. And that's how I uh, discovered uh, You Like Me Too Much and, uh, you know, those kind of songs. There were songs that I had. Uh, and There were some songs I couldn't do. Like, I couldn't do My Sweet Lord, just kind of trying to rewrite the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. I couldn't do that. I couldn't change it. It's unchangeable. So I took the licks from that and put it in, you know, a different song. That It's floating in another song. It's sprinkled in another song. Right. So for me, if you're a guitar player or a Beatle fan, the more you listen to this album, the more you hear, wow, listen, there's some backwards stuff in there. And it's kind of like the end of Rain, and they're doing that. And then listen, there's... <clears throat> There's flutes in there, like the end of Strawberry Fields Forever. That do 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 do. And even on one, I've got a an eight millimeter camera rolling. That was cool. Where you hear the thing clicking, and then it runs yeah. out of film, and it flips around, and it shuts off. What was fun about that was that's at the end of I Need You, which <clears throat> which shows up, you know, in the credits at the end of Help when he does the I Need You by George Harrison, and like pops up there. And when I heard that, and then I heard the reel running out, I thought that was kind of neat. The the film reel. Yeah, we did a lot of things in there that I'm, I'm amazed that you heard it. I, I'm amazed people are getting it because I'm a real Beatle freak. And when, my, when my, uh, my engineer said, do you know in Pro Tools it's easy to reverse stuff. You don't need to do it on tape and then flip the tape around. So I said, okay, in the end of this song, let's reverse all these vocals we're doing and then let's put in some Strawberry Fields flutes <laughs> or Mellotron, whatever. Yeah. And so we had a lot of fun doing that. And so I really hope Beatle fans... And, and I could see now, like, guys like you are, and the guys the last night on the, I did the serious uh, Beatles thing, like, for two hours last night. Yep. Right. They're really right. into it, and they really are enjoying what I did. Well, and, it, and appreciating it, and I love that, rather than being slammed and for being anti-religious, so to speak, because the, <laughs> Beatles, the Beatles are a religion, right? Let's face it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so before we let you go, we have, we're, we have had uh, our friend Giles Martin on the show a bunch of times. We talked to him about the new Sgt. Pepper remaster, remix. I have to ask you, you know, you were one of the privileged people to have heard the multi-tracks of the opening chord of A Hard Day's Night, and, and you've told the story, but can you just go over that one more time? We... We love that story. Yes, well, 
this shows you what an idiot I'm at. I, I, I'm, I'm at my chiropractor in London, and he says, I have another client who wants to meet you. And I go, yeah, and he says, his name is Giles. I say, okay. So I go into the room after, and he cracks my back, and this Cairo does Pete Townsend and, every, and Roger Daltrey, all the guitar, and, he does all the musicians. He understands your spine and playing a guitar or drums and stuff like that. That's cool. So I go to meet this nice, handsome, tall guy, and very polite and very articulate. And, uh, hi, I'm Randy, I'm, jo I'm Giles, great. <laughs> so what do you do, Giles? <laughs> well, I help my, I'm in music. Uh, yeah, I know, Tony told me you're in music. Our, our uh, chiropractor, his name is Tony Anthony. I know you're in music, but like, what does your dad do? And he just looks at me and he goes, well, my dad's George Martin. I helped him out. I go, your dad is George. I'm like Jackie Gleason. I'm a honeymooners. Humana, 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 humana. And so I say to him, wow, um, weren't we supposed to write in Nashville last year? And he said, yeah, but I was too busy. Sorry, because he came to Nashville to write songs. I said, it was really nice to meet you. Hey, I'm having a flat warming. I just got a flat in Covent Garden. I got a penthouse flat, and I'm looking at the, the London Eye and all that stuff. And do you want to come over? Anthony's coming. The chiropractor's coming. He said, sure, I'll come. I'll bring my wife. Great. So he comes to that. And as he's there and he's saying goodbye to me, he says, this week I'm going in to mix the tapes for love for the Vegas show. Do you want to come into Abbey Road Studios? And I say, when are you doing? And he says, Wednesday. And I say, I'm leaving Tuesday. Oh. He says, too bad you can't stay. Luckily... God decides to flood my flat. <laughs> Tuesday morning, one of my pipes breaks, and it floods my flat, so I get the water turned off, and I'm in the penthouse, and if I leave and go back to Canada, I'm going to flood six floors below me of apartments. So I call a plumber, and he comes and shuts everything off. He fixes it. He's got to retile the bathroom, and he says, you've got to change your flight. I've got to leave this heater on, but it'll burn down the place because now it's drying out your floor and everything. Right. Stay an extra day. So I changed my flight to be two days later, and the next morning, Wednesday morning, the, the note comes from Giles saying, your name's at the door if you want to come to Abbey Road. So I go in there, and there's guards there, and he's in the Abbey Beatles suite in Abbey Road. And he says, what do you want to hear? And I say, I want to hear, I heard the news today, oh boy. And he plays me John's voice and guitar alone, and I start crying. It's wow. so emo emotionally touching when you hear John alone singing that. And then I say, okay, I want to hear the Hard Day's Night chord. Hmm. And Giles is sitting here, he's made charts, like he's a symphony director. He's got 16 staves of the charts, because he's gone back to the original sources, uh, when the Beatles did it on two-track, and then that two-track went into a four-track, and then that four-track went into a four-track, and then, but they all got mixed at the same time. He's got all the source stuff there, so he's putting in some Pro Tools, 30 or 40 tracks of Beatles overdubs, and he's got this big chart, like he's a director of a symphony, he's the conductor. And so he shows me, and I say, okay, play what John played, a Hard Day's Night chord. Oh. And it's a D chord with a G on top, so it's a D sus suspended four. What did Paul play? He played a D, no a D, uh, D dote on the bass. What did George play? He played an F chord, with, an, with a G on top and a G on the bottom, but with his thumb, he also plays a C on the bottom, Oof. and there's that chord. And wow. then, then my dad, George, uh, went in, and he played the three bottom notes on all these chords. He played a D and an F and a C. Oh, and so when wow. you go and play this, so I did that live TV. This thing is on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I did that live with my band, and we play it. And when you, when you say what these chords are separately, they don't make any sense. They shouldn't fit together. Right. Mm. But when mm. I count to four and I go one, two, three, four, bam, and we all hit that note, it's the mo it's the most it's the most recognizable music 
piece that lasts for one bar in the entire world. Yep. Everybody in the world knows that, no matter what language or what country you're in, when you play that whole note, bam, everybody <laughs> yep. knows what it is. Everybody sings, bam, it's been a hard, and they do the pickup on the, on the end of the three chord, a three note, three beat, right? Wow, we should be sending that up to SETI. That should be what we send out to see if there's extraterrestrial life. They'll recognize the opening chord of a hard day's night. Well, yeah. Funny enough, I'm, I'm a drummer, and I always had trouble figuring out what Ringo was doing on that opening chord. So. <laughs> Very nice. Believe it or not. Oh, no. Believe it or not, he hits a tom-tom and a cymbal. Oh, great. I, was just, really? I never knew about yeah. the tom-tom. Wow, I never knew wow. that. I never noticed that. Randy, before, before uh, you have to leave... Um, you, you toured with the All-Star Band. Right. Um, I did. It was a lot. It was the most how fun you, I ever had in my life, and offstage was more fun than on stage. How, how, how were you chosen? Did you know Ringo, or uh, how would, how did you get involved with the band? No, I think, uh, well, Ringo, to stay in, in straight mode, right, because he had gone through many rehabs, and sure. they kept saying to him, you've got to keep busy, or else, because you're so rich and you're so famous, you can go anywhere and do anything you want, buy anything you want have a project. So every two years he puts together an all-star band. Right, right. And I heard about his all-star band, and um, it was really, really weird. I'm watching PBS, because I love these weekends where they play old doo-wop stuff, and oh, sure, you've yeah. got to phone in pledges. So it's a Beatles weekend. So I watch uh, Magical Mystery Tour. I watch Help. I watch Hard Day's Night. <laughs> the next morning my phone rings, and it says, Hi, oh, this is Ringo. <laughs> And I hang up. <laughs> I think it's my road manager playing a joke on me. And the phone rings again, and it goes, wait a minute, this is Ringo. Here's my number. I'm calling from Monaco. You can call me back if you want. And then I realize, oh, my God, it's Ringo. And he says, I want you to be in my all-star band. I want you to sing Taking Care of Business and play American Woman. I go, wow, incredible. Wow. And I want you to speak to David Fishoff. He's putting it on. He's the promoter behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to rehearse here and there and everywhere and wherever we're going to do that. And let's, so I want you to be in my band. We're going to tour the world. Wow. And it was like the greatest experience I had in my life. And, and you, you were then taking over the George role. I was George, exactly. Oh. I got to play, you know, the beginning, too, with a little help from my friends and... And then I talked Ringo into doing I Want to Be Your Man because he didn't want to do it. I said, everybody wants to hear I Want to Be Your Man. They all want to hear Yellow Submarine. It doesn't matter if it's a kid's song or a cartoon. Yeah. We want to hear Ringo. And now I got to do Act Naturally and play all, all that stuff. So I became George for Ringo, and it was great. You no, got to be George and Buck Owens at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do have one more question. Well, I have a no, couple more. But yeah. the one we haven't asked is, what was your first Beatles 45 or album. What, oh, yeah, what was the first go. one you bought? Uh, I was way ahead of the USA. Being in Winnipeg, we had cousins in England, and uh, I was into Cliff Richard and the Shadows. And even, w even with my measly paperboy money when I was like, whatever age I was, 17 or 18, I subscribed to the New Musical Express and Melody Maker, and they were sent to my house as the British tabloids, the news, the, the music papers. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I actually had a Beatles. I had a Cliff Richard the Shadow scrapbook, and then wow. suddenly it's evolving to a Beatles scrapbook where I have cut out pictures of them doing everything—the clothes, the hair, the guitars, and everything. And so I ordered the first Beatle album before anybody else got it. And wow. then I got it on Parlophone Records from England. Wow. So I had that record, we learned it, and we started to play it in Winnipeg before anybody even knew it. And then maybe six, eight, nine months later, maybe a year later, they were on Ed Sullivan, everybody knew what it was. So wow. I had the first Beatle records on Parlophone 
uh, music way before it hit anywhere else. That you've got you've got three jaws dropped on this side, yeah, right? Yeah, we're really. all that's just oh. that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Uh, forget it, this. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's in the late seventies. I'm going through a divorce. I'm hiding all my stuff. <laughs> As well you should. <laughs> yeah. And I get a call from a guy, and I don't know how he got my number, and he says, I'm going through a divorce. I'm I lived over the border in Linden, Washington, which is below Vancouver, B.C. Mm-hmm. It's just over the border in Washington State. It's not as far as Bellingham. It's like a half a mile over the border. And I get a call from a guy in Birch Bay, which is a resort uh, moon on the, on the beach, just below Vancouver, everybody has a cottage, and they go there on weekends. You know, it's like going to the Catskills here in New York. Sure. So this guy calls me, and he says, um, I'm hiding out from divorce lawyers who want everything I've got, <laughs> and I was the president of the Beatles fan club. Oh. I was her assistant. It was a woman, but I was her assistant. Then when she left it and got married, I took over, and I had the Beatles. I've got all this Beatles stuff, all autographed and stuff, and I, I need 2500 bucks. Oh, to, to live and pay my rent because these divorce lawyers are taking everything I've got in L.A. And so I'm at this cottage in Birch Bay. So I go there and I'm this cottage. And I said, look, I don't have any money. I am have the same thing. And he says, look, I've got autographed albums. I've got an autographed help songbook by all four Beatles. Oh. By the way, I have Hotel California autographed by all the Beatles. The test pressing on the white test pressing that you got when you did an album autographed by Joe Walsh and all the other... All the other uh, uh, eagles. Wow. I go, holy cow, I'll be right there. <laughs> so I call my friends and say, like, get me some money, get me some money. <laughs> so I show up with 2500 bucks and he gives me a box wow. of a lot of Beatles test pressing signed by either George Martin or somebody at Capitol in L.A. And um, he gives me a Hotel California signed by all the Eagles. Wow. And wow. it was amazing. And so I've got these uh, records that the Beatles sent out with a script that oh. when they were putting out albums or solo albums, you got the script, you were DJ, and you, you said, oh, well, George, how did you write Cracker Box Palace? And his answer is recorded on, on an album. Yeah, the old open-ended interviews. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've got all these scripts and stuff that I still have this box, and I've got the Help songbook autographed by all four of them. I've got John and Yoko naked on the cover of Rolling Stone, the original proof, autographed by both of them oh, that I got from goodness. the fan club president. It's amazing. Wow. And he says, by the way, oh. I've got Jane Mansfield's piano. And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, yeah, here's a picture. So I'm there, in his, I'm there in this little cabin, this little cottage. And he says, here's a picture of Jane Mansfield in her boudoir. Everything's pink. Here's beautiful Jane. And look at, there's a green Wurlitzer piano. Wow. And I go, what? He says, yes, yeah, she had that custom made. They wouldn't make a pink one. Because they were all black, right. but they made her a green one. So I'm trying to get a hold of Mariska Hargitay now, who you know is on sure. Law & Order. Yeah. Yeah. That's Jane's daughter with Mickey Hargitay. Right. And say to her, Mariska, I've got your mother's piano. Here's a picture of it in her boudoir. Wow. You can have it. I've had it restored. You turn it on. It's a beautiful, whirly piano with the, the built-in vibrato stuff. I don't know how to get a hold of her. She's wow. unreachable. But I've got this piano that I'm willing to let her have as a mem- memorial from her. And this was back in Hex. 78, 79, when I bought this stuff from the Beatles guy. Wow. Hey, you, still, you still have not gotten in touch with her? Wow. She's in New York. No, I don't know how. Oh, really? We can help you out. We'll help you out by, with by that. The way, all, all, all we need is your, your home address. Uh, you <laughs> You're know. right. Exactly. And where you keep and the where box. where you keep the box. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. You know, these days, I don't even know my home address. <laughs> I don't know my home phone number. I mean, nobody knows phone numbers anymore. They're no. all in your iPhone. Yep. When yep. somebody say, what's your phone number? You say, I don't know. Let me call myself. <laughs> and you push a thing that calls yourself and uplights, oh, 414-4141 is now calling you. That's my phone number. That's wow. hysterical. Mm. Well, I, it, it has... I remember being a kid. The first thing my parents taught me when we got a phone was our phone number. That's right. the first thing you teach your kids. Yes. Exactly. Now oh, yeah. nobody nobody knows their phone number anymore. I still remember my number from when I was four years old in the Bronx. But, me too. But... Mine was Justice 26216. <laughs> I know. I lived in Queens. I know mine, but uh, I have an eidetic memory, so don't go by <laughs> me. the worst. Right. Well, Randy, this has been an absolute blast. It is just Appreciate so, it. so great talking with you, and... Uh, we're just we're just so looking forward to uh, to hearing the response to the album on our uh, Facebook pages and our the album you. again is called By George. Uh, by we, Backman. Uh, by, by George. By Backman. By right? Bonds. Of course. Yeah. I'm coming by back Bonds. in the middle of March with my son Tal to do Beetlefest in New Jersey as well. Yes. yes. And yes. by the way, you have to tell Tal to do uh, the song beside you because uh, my wife and I just uh, I'm not going to tell you what we do to that song, <laughs> but it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful song. You know what? That's very touching that you say that because that's a very Incredible love, very Paul McCartney love song. Absolutely, yeah. yes. And I'm amazed Beautiful that song. you know it, and Tal will be thrilled, because I had to really twist his arm and bribe him with being fired out of my band if he didn't do She's So High. <laughs> he never wanted to do it. He didn't want to no. infringe on my, sp- my space on stage, and I kept saying, here's, here's how it rolls, Tal. When I tell the story of writing these eyes in Regina, Saskatchewan, after seeing Joni Mitchell, and I went to pick up this woman who became your mother. <laughs> when I tell the story saying, I wrote these eyes waiting for this woman for our first date. And by the way, I married that woman. Our oldest child was here named Tal. And now he's going to tell the story of a song he wrote of a girl in high school who he thought was so above him she'd never go out with him. And then you're going to play She's So High. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I'm going to do it Friday and Saturday night. And he's going to do it for the first time. He oh, should actually great. sit with an acoustic guitar on stage and do Beside You with the spotlight and just him. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if yeah. you're there... I will if you're try. there at Beetlefest, he'll do it. We're showing up with two acoustics to play with the band Liverpool. Oh, can, wow. I, can I make a suggestion? Uh, <laughs> there, uh, you know, Horse to the Water is a song that George and, and his son Danny did. And it's the last song he ever did, George Harrison. That'd be kind of a fun thing, you and Tal doing that song. I don't know if you know the song, but it's it's a, one of it was on the wow. Jules Holland yeah, record. On, right and they both wow. wrote it, they co-wrote it, and it's, it's a very spiritual song because it knocks organized religion but it's, at the same time, it's very spiritual. Beautifully yeah, spiritual. Yeah, but please tell Tal yeah. that Beside You is unbelievable. And I love the album. So anyway, That's a great on album. that note. Yeah. Thank you very much. That so, means Tal. a lot. So, Randy, um, we're, if it's, it's, I'm going to say this sort of off the record now, but if it's okay, we're going to sort of wrap up the show proper. Would you be okay with doing some IDs for Just the Just a shows? couple of IDs? Sure, you bet. All right, great. Thank you so, so much. Well, Randy, it has been absolutely wonderful having you as a guest on the show. And uh, again, as I said, we are so looking forward to uh, seeing the the reviews come in for By George by Backman. And uh, you know, when you are uh, when you are back in New York, we uh, we hope to uh, speak with you again with the next the next record coming when the, when the the other two mountains are tackled. Yeah, I might I might call it George the <laughs> Second. That's beautiful. Well, you know that when I was little, I think in preschool. George II died. He was Queen Elizabeth's father. Then she yeah. became the queen. They gave every little kid a coin. I still have my coin. Oh, and I showed it. I played uh, three 
uh, a few months ago, I closed Invictus Games, Backman Turner, Bruce Springsteen, Brian Adams, and Kelly Clarkson. We closed Invictus Games in Toronto. I took the coin and showed it to Prince Harry or Prince Albert, whoever was there, Prince Harry, and said, I got this when your mother became, when your grandmother became queen. Wow. Wow. Right? That's cool. And like I said, her dad was George II. And somebody said to me, will you do another George Harrison album? I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get minted a copper coin that most Beatle fans will wear around their neck with George's head on it and call it George II. <laughs> That's, That's what you that'd be great. That's great. That'd be great. <laughs> and that wraps it up for this week's edition of Fab Four Free For All. A very big thank you to our special guest, Randy Bachman. And go out and grab your copy of By George, By Bachman. And, uh, by Bonds. By Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> so for Fab Four Free For All, I'm Tony Chiguardo. This is Mitch Axelrod. And I'm Rob Leonard. And we'll see you soon. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free-For-All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free-For-All.